So this morning, we're going to think about Jesus' instruction to go and tell. So if you look at those blobs around that big circle, in case you can't read it, the middle one says go and tell, and the one at the top says who, so who is to go, the green one says where, as in where are we to start, the red one says barriers, as in what's stopping us, the purple one says how, as in how do we do it, and the pink one says what, as in what do we say, and the orange one says why, as in what are we aiming at, and the turquoisey one says where do we get the energy. So let's start with, oops, who is to go? So at the beginning of chapter 9 of Luke, Jesus appointed the 12 apostles and he sent them out in twos to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. They were the 12 apostles, the leaders of the church. And then at the beginning of chapter 10, which is our reading this morning, Jesus appointed 72 others. And he told them to heal the sick and tell them that the kingdom of God has come near to you. So it's not just the leaders of the church who are required to go and spread the good news. It's the rest of us as well. And Jesus also said... I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves. In other words, you can expect a bit of opposition. The instruction he gave is to travel light. They're to focus on the task in hand without getting sidetracked on the way. The instruction, don't greet anyone on the road, isn't an instruction to be rude, but a warning not to be distracted and to get on with the job. And they weren't to be in the work for what they could get out of it either. They were to eat what they were given, and once somebody had offered them hospitality, they weren't to move around looking for more comfortable accommodation. So the message we can take from this passage is that evangelism is not just for the rector. (laughs) It's for all of us. And we need to be focused and deliberate about it. And you know, even if we don't become a a travelling evangelist like Louis Palau or J. John or Billy Graham, we are all called to be witnesses of what we've seen and heard, of what's happened to us, how we've changed, and what we've experienced. We are all called to share our experience of being a follower of Jesus. So, where do we need to go? What do you think Jesus means by the phrase, the harvest is plentiful? I think he means that there are lots of people who are searching for God, or searching for something, maybe they don't quite know what yet. And they need some help to find God. In those days, in about AD 30... There were about 200 million people in the world. So if the harvest was plentiful then, then now we have 7.5 billion people in the world. That's 7.5 thousand million people. 
then the harvest must be even more plentiful now. In Acts 1 verse 8, Jesus says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In other words, start where you are, in the city that you're in. So for us, we start here in Western. We start with our close circle, with our family, our friends, our work colleagues, our neighbours. You know, some of us actually find this quite difficult because these are the people that know us. They know our failings and our fears. And if we offend them, we still have to live with them. Another problem might be for some people that you can't actually fish in a pond where there are no fish. So if we have no non-Christian friends or family, then we might be a bit stuck. Maybe we need to invite our neighbours round, or join a club, or volunteer at the Love Western Cafe, or with Enrich, or with Genesis, just so we can meet some people who aren't Christians yet. In Matthew 9, verse 36... It says, when he, that's Jesus, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus saw people who were in need of guidance and care. I wonder how we see people as a threat, as unimportant, as too busy and not interested in what we might have to say, as having too much fun living the way they are to want to change anything. I sometimes think that I don't really think about other people all that much as I might. We can be quite caught up in what we're doing and where we're supposed to be. And sometimes we can walk past people without really thinking very much about them at all. We need compassion which is part of seeing people how Jesus sees them. If we ask the Holy Spirit to let us see people the way that he does, I'm sure it would make a big difference. The problem is that the laborers are few. Jesus says, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. You know, When we pray about God's kingdom growing in Western, we tend to focus on praying for them out there and saying things like, soften their hearts, Lord, and make them ready to receive you, which is fine. But what Jesus is saying here is that it's not them that's the problem. The problem is that we haven't got enough people going out to tell them. And we don't often actually pray for more people to go out and tell them. Maybe that's because we're worried that he might send us. And some of us might be called further afield. Maybe to another job in another place in this country. Or maybe overseas. We need to keep our hearts and our ears open to the Holy Spirit's guiding even if we do hope that he'll send somebody else. So what's stopping us? 
Why do we find it so difficult to share our faith? We live in community with other people, with our family, our friends, our work colleagues, and we naturally share our experiences with them and our joys and our sorrows. We talk about our travels and our holidays. We show them pictures of our children and grandchildren and dogs. We talk about what we've been doing at the weekend. Only sometimes we miss out the bit about church, don't we? Or is that just me? Becoming or being a Christian is a massively important part of our lives. It's about who we really are. So why is it so hard to talk about it? I have got a few suggestions, but I'd really like to hear what you think. What do you think holds us back from talking about our faith? Any ideas? Rejection, Rejection, yeah. Yeah. Fear, Fear, absolutely. Disbelief, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so on my list, I've got fear of offending people. Fear of appearing hypocritical. Fear of getting it wrong. Fear of coming on too strong and putting people off. Fear of being inadequate. Fear of rejection. Fear of losing reputation. Fear of making ourselves vulnerable. And fear of getting into trouble. But Proverbs 29 verse 25 says... Fear of a person will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord will be kept safe. And Isaiah 51 verse 12 says, Who are you that you fear mere mortals, human beings who are but grass, that you forget the Lord your maker? For I am the Lord your God, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord Almighty is his name. I have put my words in your mouth and covered you with the shadow of my hand. We need to get our priorities right. It's God who we serve, and it should be God who we obey. And it should be God that we worry about. We shouldn't allow ourselves to be fearful, but we should trust in God. But I do know that that's not as easy as it sounds. So let's think about how. St. Francis said, preach the gospel, and if you must, use words. James 2 verse 17 says, faith without actions is dead. When Jesus was here on earth, he wasn't concerned with the rich and famous. He spent all his time with poor people, those who were sick, and the people who were struggling and had no one else to stick up for them. When Jesus sent out the 72, he said, Heal those who are ill and tell them that the kingdom of God is near. In other words, attend to their needs first. The poor people, the homeless people, 
those people with mental health problems and addictions, those who are rejected by others and who are struggling in other ways to cope with life, are far more likely to be receptive to the good news of Jesus if we're helping them with their issues first. We have to be good news to these people to earn the opportunity to talk about Jesus. Jesus said that the most important commandments are love God with everything you are and love your neighbor as yourself. When someone asked him, who is my neighbor? He replied with the parable of the Good Samaritan, which is just a bit further on in Luke chapter 10. And that parable demonstrates that our neighbor is the person who needs our help, whether we know them or not whether they speak English or not, and whether they are like us or not. Today, we've brought our gifts for the food bank. That's really great. And thank you so much for your generosity. But we have to remember that there are 364 other days in the year. And we have to make sure that we're carrying on Actions to show that we care for those who are struggling on the other days as well. If we don't help them, who will? We have to be the hands and feet of Jesus on this earth because we are all he's got. So let's think about what. When we get an opportunity to talk to people about Jesus, what is it that we should be telling them? Well, the idea is not to preach at them, but just to introduce them gently to the idea of God's love for them, to sow the seeds, and to be prepared to answer questions that they might have about why we spend our Sundays in church and what Jesus means to us. It's actually quite a good idea to practice telling our own story so that if people ask us, we know what to say. Nicky Gumbel, who wrote the Alpha Course, said that our story should include a little bit about what we were like before, and then how we came into relationship with Jesus, and then what it's meant to us since then. But it has to be less than three minutes long, otherwise people will switch off. It's such a good idea to practice telling our story that I think we should do it now. I don't usually do this, but today I am going to ask you to talk to somebody near you, if you'd like to. You don't have to. So if you know Jesus, I would like you to tell someone else how you came to know him and what difference it's made since then. And if you don't know Jesus yet, I would like you to tell someone why you happen to be in church this morning. So if you don't want to do this, that's absolutely fine. But it would be useful for you, if you're not doing it, to sit quietly and think about how you would answer one of those questions if somebody asked you. Okay, you've got five minutes, so you can tell each other, starting now. The other thing that we need to make sure we know how to explain is how people can come into relationship with God through Jesus for themselves. It's very simple, really. 
God created the world, like our lovely banners say. And he created us in his own image. And he said it was very good. He made us the crown of his creation in his likeness. But God's creation didn't stay good for very long. Because people rebelled against God and sin came into the world. And like a virus in a computer, it caused disorder and chaos. Sin separates us from God. We can show this on a little diagram. I'm sure you've seen this before. It has its consequences. We can't pay the price. So God made a plan to restore us. He sent part of himself, his son, who he named Jesus. And the name Jesus means God saves or God to the rescue. In Romans 6 verse 23, we're told that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus. You see, Jesus intentionally died a horrible death on the cross in order to make a way for us to be made right with God, to pay the price for our sin. And then God brought Jesus back to life. And in that way, he defeated death and the powers of evil and made it possible for us to live with God forever. He made a bridge over the gap. Jesus went back to heaven so that God could send the Holy Spirit, who gives us the power to live as we should. He guides us, he reminds us of what Jesus said, and he speaks to us in various ways. He also does amazing things sometimes, like healing people and fixing things. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we all have to come to make a decision at some point whether we want to be a follower of Jesus or not. If we do, we have to decide three things. We have to decide to believe that Jesus is the Son of God who died so that we can be forgiven. And and we have to turn away from our sin And we have to receive Jesus into our lives by the Holy Spirit. And we have to follow Jesus in every area of our lives. So there's those three decisions to believe, to receive, and to follow. And God will accept us. Romans 10 verse 9 says, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is amazingly good news. People need to know. So, what are we aiming for? What Jesus said when he went back into heaven was go and make disciples, not go and make converts. In other words, we're not supposed to just lead people to the point of making the decision to follow Jesus. We're supposed to then teach them how to do it. It's called discipleship or training. It's not something that we can easily do on our own. We need each other in the church family. As a family, we nurture children. And as the church family, we need to nurture new Christians to invest in them. Otherwise, 
They'll be like seeds planted in the rocky ground in the parable of the sower. And they won't be able to cope with the challenges and temptations that will inevitably come their way. We need each other because we have different gifts. We need people with the gifts of hospitality, people with the gifts of teaching and pastoring and being kind and patient with people. None of us can do all of it on our own. So we need to think about it and plan for it and be deliberate about it. So lastly, where do we get the energy? In Acts 4 verse 20, Peter and John said, we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. And that's because they were bubbling up with the love of Jesus by the Holy Spirit. To be effective evangelists or witnesses, we need to be filled daily with the Holy Spirit. He will help us to see people as God sees them. He will prompt us with acts of service that we can perform. He will show us who to talk to. He will give us the right words to say. I think we should pray. So let's all pray together. First of all, if you haven't yet made a decision to follow Jesus and you would like to, or if you'd like to recommit to him, I'm going to pray a prayer which you can echo in your heart. I'll just read it through quickly first so you know where we're going with it, and then I'll do it slowly, one line at a time. Dear Father God, thank you that you want me to be in relationship with you. Thank you that you sent Jesus to die for me, and to be the way that I can come to you. I am truly sorry for the things I've done wrong, and I want to turn away from them. Please will you forgive me and help me to change. Please come into my life, Lord Jesus, by your spirit, to be my friend and guide forever. Amen. So I'm going to read that one line at a time, and if it's new for you, or if you want to re-say it, then... Echo each line in your heart quietly as we go. Dear Father God, thank you that you want me to be in relationship with you. Thank you that you sent Jesus to die for me and to be the way that I can come to you. I am truly sorry for the things I've done wrong and I want to turn away from them. Please will you forgive me and help me to change. Please come into my life, Lord Jesus, by your spirit to be my friend and guide forever. Amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time or even for a second or third time, do tell me afterwards because I've got a little book to give you. But let's all of us pray for the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, thank you that you've been very present here this morning. And Father, as we plan to go out into this week, we pray that you will pour out your Spirit on us afresh, that you'll fill us afresh every day so that we can bubble over with the love of Christ and so that we can be effective witnesses for you in this place. Because we ask it in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.